following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Welcome to the program. My name is Denny Gringell, your humble host for going on three years now. On today's episode, you think you got what it takes to teach, or at least supply teach, a class full of elementary, intermediate, and or high schoolers, but a lack of an actual teaching degree has always held you back? I think the number one thing when you're an educator is that you are there to teach students. You are not there to teach subjects. Well, your local public school board is looking to recruit unqualified teachers. That's their word, by the way. We'll tell you how and why this new hiring campaign works. A Christmas church service is often about hope and promise. Kevin Fitzpatrick, whom we spoke to in December 2020, joins us again to compare the sermon he delivered then and how he delivered it with the one he'll deliver next week. And if you're on social media, how could you not see all those wonderful pictures of people walking among the illuminated trees in a forest pathway? We head to that path that can read to learn what went into that bright idea. Bright idea, get it? This is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. There are reminders everywhere constantly that we are not, and here's that expression again, that we are not back to normal. But think back to two years ago when so much was upended, when so many of us were forced to adapt, including how we worshipped. Two years ago, Kevin Fitzpatrick was getting ready to deliver a Christmas service like he had never delivered before to the congregation at Janetville United Church. The Advocate Podcast spoke to Kevin at that time. Here's some of what he had to say about that pivot to virtual sermons. I know myself, I can speak for myself, it's not something I was taught in seminary, how to do, you know, production, video production, <laughs> editing, and all that. You know, we were prepared to be in the pulpit, and but 2020 has kind of propelled us to learn a lot of new things and, and to be church in a lot of new ways. We cope with the situation and we adapt. A lot of my education was kind of talking about the way the church is changing. And definitely 2020 has been a year of change for in so many, and not only in the church, but in so many different um, areas of, uh, of, of life. That was Kevin Fitzpatrick from Christmas time of 2020. Kevin is finishing up his internship with the United Church of Canada, and he will be conducting service again at Janetville United, He's also the Youth and Young Families Minister at Grace United in Peterborough. Kevin joins me on the line. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for returning to the program. Well, thanks, Danny. This, this, is, this is wonderful. Like, I mean, I, I can't believe two years have gone by that fast. Yeah. Well, hey, I want you to go back to that time. Uh, what, what was your reaction when you heard that clip? As clergy, as churches, we've embraced technology. I think as a society, we've embraced technology there's many churches who have adapted and used use Zoom to do meetings in a whole new way. We're still not, you know, that word normal. What we're living in is, I guess you would call the new normal. Not lost on all of this is when we spoke two years ago, it was over the telephone, the way our ancestors did. Yes. And now we're looking yes. at each other on our computers, exactly. our respective computer screens. Well, let me ask you what you can tell us about your church services this time around compared to what you were dealing with two years ago, what can we expect? 
I would say both churches, to some extent, have um, uh, uh, used used online, such as Zoom, to kind of further their ministries. And uh, I would say Grace more than Janetville. Um, Janetville, they're still kind of like an older congregation, not quite tech savvy as maybe other churches are. And I mean, the, out of that has come the term hybrid service, where you have folks who are in the sanctuary and participating and, and being there present with each other. And then you have folks who are virtually present. I guess the upside two years later is that you're, you're still performing to a camera, but you will be performing to living, breathing human beings in in the sanctuary as That's well. Right. What does that mean That's to you as, as a new minister that you can now preach in front of human beings? It's nice to have like even, you know, two years ago, you, you didn't have the reaction because you were talking to a camera, but now with folks in the, in the congregation, like there's that personal touch to, you know, you can talk back and forth, interact. And, but also, you know, you gotta be, um, conscious of how you um, react to the online presence too. I think it gives churches more exposure as well, because I mean, like it used to be, you know, if you wanted to go church shopping, you had to actually go to a service. Um, now this gives people an opportunity. It's like, well, you know, I can be safe, uh, you know, checking out a church from the from the safety of my my own home and saying it's like I'll see who you know who's doing what that being said like I mean I know there's traditionalists who say uh, like the community is the in-person community and there has been a lot of pushback uh, saying that the way church should be is in the building in the people together but I see advantages for an online presence where you make yourself available for many more people than maybe, you know, during the week than might not be there on a Sunday morning. This does make your job a bit more taxing, I would think, though, for this upcoming church service. You're you're performing to people at home and you're performing to the people in front of you. How how are you managing all of that? Well, it's good that there is at, at Grace, there is a tech team who that's their job. And that's a blessing in itself. I know there's other churches where the minister has had to set up everything and then train, empower people and then train them to run the tech. And at first it was a little intimidating because a little, maybe some of these people are older and so not quite as tech savvy as some as some younger people. There's a term we talk that we're in a post-Christendom age where the church isn't actually, you know, the most important. At one time, the church was the hub of the community, and that's kind of, and we've kind of moved on from there. But with a video presence, when if you can record something and put it online, church is whenever you can find the time to be church. Mm-hmm. So I think it helps. When we spoke two years ago, you spoke a lot about just the sense of hope. How do you yes. feel about that? today i think there's you know i think there's still that sense of hope coming up to christmas there was still fear around what the pandemic was doing what COVID meant how it would affect our lives but i think we've moved beyond that i think we've um overcome i think we've learned to live the best we can with COVID, and people are kind of 
getting back to normal, whatever normal looks like. So there is that hope. And, and I think we can express that hope in a place like on, a, on Christmas Eve, but virtually too. Like when you take that message wired to the world, because I mean, that's, that's, that was Jesus message to the disciples was to carry, carry the good news. Now, part of our message, we're taking virtually out into the world. And so we're, I think we're reaching a larger audience. I think it offers a counterbalance to some of what we see, like even on the evening news, like where, you know, they say good news doesn't sell newspapers. Well, I mean, as if we can be the good news virtually out there and gives people something, something to grasp on, onto, something to give them hope. My thanks to Kevin Fitzpatrick, who will again be delivering a Christmas Eve service at 4.30 p.m. It will be live streamed, but also available in person at the church, Janetville United. I chose to come back to the city of Cortha Lakes. I was born and raised in the area. So I know the people and the businesses that are here and I wanted to be able to support them locally. My family, my friends are in the area. I had roots growing up here and then I both as a student and then now professionally. So I wanted to be in a community that I knew well. And I think it's important for small towns to have people who know the area well. For small towns, we're heavy on the support, we're community driven, so you know, you know the people that you're meeting in the grocery store or that you're seeing in the small town, so that was important to me and I think it's important to a lot of the clients that we service as well. My name is Brogan Dean and I grew up in the city of Corth Lakes and I am with Ward's Lawyers. The December issue of The Advocate magazine, Our Show's Parent, if you will, is now out. In it, David Rappaport asks, where's the bus? It's a comprehensive examination of the absence of Go Transit in Lindsay. You can pick up your copy across Kawartha Lakes, including Lamantia's Country Market in Lindsay and the Foodland in Omimi, as well as many other locales, just not at a Go station because we don't have one of those. <sighs> There was a time not that long ago when a teaching job, even an on-call supply teaching job, was tough to land. But education, like pretty much all sectors of late, is reeling from staffing shortages, including, especially really, a shortage of teachers. So much so, in fact, that the Trillium Lakelands District School Board has put out a call for applicants for what it refers to as unqualified teaching staff. There are conditions, of course, a police check among them. But even if you don't have an actual teaching degree, but you do have a four-year university degree and some experience in instructing children, and you're interested in a supply teaching position at the elementary, intermediate, or high school level, well, the TLDSB wants to hear from you. I met with Tracy Hubbard, Superintendent Human Resources at the board office in Lindsay. And I started by asking her, 
okay, so what went into the decision to, let's say, relax these hiring requirements? It's an emergency. We're in a critical situation at this point in time uh, where we have an excessive number of employee vacancies that need to be filled. And we've been doing our very best to manage that without going outside of qualified personnel. How so? Like, what what, what are the other options outside of this? Well, there's a lot of administrators have been covering. People are doing two jobs. People are, uh, teachers are losing prep time. Um, and then having to have that paid back at other times. Um, those sorts of things, collapsing classes or... At secondary, you might have an administrator taking two classes to the cafeteria for supervision purposes, and they're working on materials that their teachers have left for them to do, but it's just not the same as being able to have hands-on opportunities in classrooms. Um, you know, if, if you're a kindergarten student, we want those children to be able to play and be able to go outside and to be able to engage with their learning environment. And if we don't have enough staff to supervise that properly, that starts becoming challenging. COVID has really changed the environment, right? Uh, Worldwide, Um, I think um, I had an aha moment somewhat this summer when I was traveling. Um, I was in uh, a little community in Idaho and there was a sign up and it said, the world is short staffed, be kind to those who show up. And I was like, that is such a brilliant sign because Our staff do take a lot of heat on things, and things are not always as fast as they might have been in the past. Um, Everybody's short-staffed. I mean, our board offices are short-staffed with people as well. Well, maybe there should be a course as part of the curriculum on patients, but that's a (laughs) whole other issue. Okay, now I, I know you're requiring candidates they have experience working with youth, but not necessarily in a classroom setting. So given the circumstances, what can the board do to prep that person for whom this might be unfamiliar territory? Absolutely. So we have, um, it's extensive as extensive as it can be for unqualified people that we're not, you know, doing a whole rundown of here's the curriculum, but really um, a process of how schools operate, what you need to do, what you should think about. When you come into a school, these are the things you should expect to be given, you know, like keys to the classroom, here's a map, you, you know, just even little things like, yeah, the shift, you know, the school bell rings at 845, you probably want to be there no later than 830 so that you have the opportunity to review the plans, know what was left to be done, familiarize yourself with the classroom, see what materials the, the teachers have left. So it's an orientation of sorts. Is, does it take place in a room much like the one we're yeah, in right we'll now? Yeah, we'll be doing it in the north and the south in our um, Lindsay and Muskoka board offices, um, inviting candidates in there. Um, I mean, we have an extensive training program for people that have to, you know, engage with some of our uh, students that have some more challenges. Um, Can you give an example of that? Like, are you talking like uh, that teacher may be dealing with the... Like, you know, how to block uh, an aggressive student so that you don't become harmed yourself. Physically block them. Right. We're trying to be really mindful that we don't put anybody at risk when they're coming to work for us. We're really just happy to have people that are going to be able to come and help out. Okay, when you say help out, how close to an actual teaching job? The duties of a teacher require assessment, evaluation, reporting. We are not expecting any of our emergency staff to be doing assessment, evaluation, or reporting, right? They will come in and they will be supervising a classroom. A teacher will have left a lesson. We are hoping in in many cases that... Um, depending on what's been left, the person can deliver that 
communicate the message uh, of what's been left for the students. Um, support students to the best of their ability and this really will allow us to keep schools operational rather than having to flip potentially to remote learning or to just say unfortunately we would have you know we don't have an, enough staff here today if there's someone out there that has a musical background and we need a music teacher for the day and we're short staffed and we can call them in and they can come in awesome right there they will understand all of the details of the plan I used to be a high school English teacher, and I would have to do so many on-calls during the course of the year. And you could be anywhere in, not, in a not-English class. Right. So I could be in the gym. Uh, I could be covering a phys ed class. I could be covering a science class. I could be covering a math class. Well, let me ask you then, Tracy, because you have some firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. What's that like for that person who, who might say, okay, I can handle that area, be it yeah. arts and arts or, or sciences or languages, and yep. then they end up in the other camp. What advice can you offer that teacher who thought that, okay, I'm, I was going to be in this camp, but now they need me in that camp? I think the number one thing um, when you're an educator is that you are there to teach students. You are not there to teach subjects. And so it's about students, and you are there to ensure that they can have a safe, a safe environment. So you know, if it's one day um, and you were supposed to come in and cover a class, and they were doing literary theory, and you don't know anything about literary theory, that's okay. The teacher will have left something, right? And and in a lot of cases, even for their colleagues who are coming in. They're not expecting their colleague to stand at the board and write notes, you know, old school like you and I might have had when we were students. That's that's not how we do things. So they're not going to be expected to stand up and provide a lecture or, you know, write notes on the board. The, the whole premise is that it's emergency supply only. So they are morning of phone calls. At this point in time in the year, the students will be able to say, oh, well, yesterday, you know, we were we were doing X or we were doing Y. And in most cases, I mean, particularly at secondary, your students understand where they're headed. And really it's about, like it might be about facilitating some partnership work, right? Okay, let's get you into groups. Who wants to work on this? Who wants to work on that? So they'll, you know, within the framework of what's been left behind. And really you're there for supervision purposes to make sure the class is safe. And I I think that the big thing is there are always other people around to support. I'm not telling tales out of school, pardon the pun, when I say that. Let's face it, when you and I were in that position, when we were students and a supply teacher came in, we treated them often differently. And, And dare I say, sometimes with less... Um, respect than maybe they deserved. So this just adds a layer. So I'm, I'm just wondering how, how you're hoping the students are, are going to receive these teachers who are, to use your term, unqualified teachers. You know, some of the people that we're already seeing come in, the students aren't going to know whether they're qualified or unqualified. We don't say, hi, everybody, today you get an unqualified teacher. They're going to be like, hi, today your teacher is Mrs. Smith. But they're going to find out, aren't they? Isn't it quite easy for them to to figure that one out? I don't know. I mean, it would be pretty easy for them to figure out that I was not a qualified math teacher when I was covering a math class, but I'm still an adult in the building, and I still deserve the respect that other staff deserve. And I would hope that our students are respectful, although I'm not... um, you know, I'm, I'm not delusional. You're 100% right. And I don't think the world has changed such that, you know, supply teachers are a special group of human beings that are willing to, you know, sort of go out there and do their very best. And 
kids start to know when people care and that's what they care about. My experiences with students, if you treat students with respect, they will treat you with respect in return. And sometimes there is that testing phase. It's, it's very natural. I mean, adults test. What has the response been from, from other teachers and, and parents at this point when, with this proposal? It's mixed, to be honest with you. I mean, people are always concerned when you're willing to put unqualified people in front of children, right? And you automatically get first off, first people are like, great, so now you're going to put criminals in front of children. No, actually, we're not. People have to still, like our successful candidates still have to have a clear criminal records check, and they also have to have a clear vulnerable sector screening done. Um, These are still people with an education. It's just they don't have a teaching degree. Um, I think the fact that there's potential relief involved is also an encouraging thing. I think the other possible benefit is there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about what education is and what a teacher does. Go ahead, try it and see what you think and determine whether you think it's all that you thought it was. Tracy Hubbard is a superintendent with the Trillium Lakelands District School Board. If you're interested in applying for one of the supply staff positions or one of the other positions that the board is looking to fill, you can go to the career section of the TLDSB website. Time to thank the people who make this show possible. Ward's Lawyers has been our official and exclusive sponsor since our very first show way back in February of 2020. If you're looking for a lawyer, the team at Ward's, led by Carissa Ward, can meet any and all of your legal needs. Go to wardlegal.ca to find out more. We'd like to be around for many, many years to come, bringing you stories of our community. And you can help us out with that by subscribing to the Advocate Podcast on your favorite platform for free, as well as rating our show and following us on Facebook and or Instagram. So how many batteries per uh, per tree? Or? Well, it's all little LED bulbs too, which take like no... Yes, you heard that right. That was me inquiring as to the number of batteries per tree. I, like many, many visitors to Ken Reed Conservation Park, took in the illuminated forest one recent evening. It's one of the more popular wide trails at KRC, all lit up for the winter with strings of lights around the trees, as well as a few natural archways. The Illuminated Forest was originally scheduled to wrap up this week, but demand, big demand, means it's sticking around through the holiday season. I met on site with Melissa Creasy-Alexander and Kaylee Burke, both technicians with Ken Reed. We definitely had to sit there and think about it. I mean, it is a conservation area, so we've got to always take into consideration the impacts to nature. Such for, as what impacts? Obviously nocturnal animals, bringing in more folks to the park, uh, impacts such as that. Um, for us, it was one of those things where Ken Reed's a huge area, which is why we've done about 200 meters inside of our cedar forest here, which allows the guests to come out and experience the illuminated forest for a short walk but it also leaves the rest of the CA for our animals to go out and enjoy their natural spaces. 
So we kind of sat down and toyed with the idea if we were able to do a small stretch of trail where we already utilize the space, so we already have a lot of visitors that come back here during the daytime, it's a very prominent area, that that, that would be something that we'd be able to manage opposed to perhaps utilizing a space in the park where we don't necessarily go there that much during the winter. So for example, our group camp side of the park, we don't plow back there during the winter, so that's a very quiet area, whereas this side, everybody's out here feeding the chickadees, enjoying the playground, hiking these trails, so it's already an area that receives a lot of high impact from users. started out with a couple strands of lights. And we I can see them right here. Yeah, okay. we came out into the forest and we just, we started wrapping trees so we could get an idea of what it would look like. Cause we weren't sure how any of this would look once the, the sun set and you know, it was dark. So, so we what came was that out. like? Let's go back there. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to know what <laughs> was course. that like when you're stringing these lights that I'm looking at right now in the daytime and you don't know what it's going to look we had, like. Yeah, no idea. We were hoping for the best. So with the ones around the trees, it was it was very dizzy. It was a lot of time walking in circles around the trees. Um, with these ones out here, it was it was trying to fill in some blanks where you know trees were maybe too large to wrap or there were too many trunks on them. So that's kind of how we got into some of the different things. And then we decided let's go one step further and let's add arches and some stars that we made or Christmas trees that we made just to kind of add a couple features for folks to come and take photos with. So it's all tiny LED bulbs. Uh, we've got about 250 strands of lights out here in the forest. What was number 249 like when you were putting it Oh up? goodness, it was very uh, rewarding because the, the it was getting dark as we were doing it. So as it was getting dark, we were turning lights on. So you could kind of see the forest coming to life as we were putting it all together. And it was just very enchanting. Yeah, so as we were lighting, as we were putting the trees, um, the lights on the trees, we were turning the batteries on so that we could get a visual of how many different trees we had kind of covered. I will admit, after the first couple strands, you could, you could almost envision how beautiful it was going to be in here, just to see those lights coming on and the sun setting around the cedar trees. And then once we started to get um, the pathway down, Oh, a couple hundred feet. It was it was just phenomenal to see all those lights popping on and the sun setting. I mean, we were really excited to put everything together. It started out very unknown for us, and I would say by the end of the first day, we were thrilled and we just couldn't wait to get more lights up. They are all battery powered, so that was really phenomenal for us. We were able to do a test run prior to stringing up any lights, so we got a package of them, we put some batteries in them, and we just left them outside to see what kind of timeline we would have from them, because obviously we wanted to get more than a couple nights out of the batteries that we were utilizing. Uh, we were able to find that we were easily able to get a couple weeks out of them, so that was really nice. The, they're all set on a timer, so the first night we did it, we had to come out at the precise time to set all the buttons and set them off on the correct time, but now the lights come on on a time system. We do have somebody out here just to make sure if there's any hitches with anything or a light doesn't come on, we can put it on. You got creative here with, uh, I can see the, the Lorax <laughs> from the Dr. Seuss Correct, book. Correct, yes. Okay, so what went into that decision to not just do string strung up lights, but you wanted a, so, a, a little bit of fun. Yeah, so we decided we wanted to incorporate some, some things that were meaningful to us. So the Lorax, I'm... For anybody that's familiar with that book, the Lorax speaks for the trees. The the Dr. Seuss book is is very um, touched to our heart here, and especially in CA lands because we do so much trail maintenance and we do work with the trees. So for us, that was a very well felt expression to say, you know, let's put the Lorax up up here because we do feel we speak for the trees sometimes. Melissa, when you were standing right in front of where we are now, yeah, and the letters are strung up. 
and you saw it for the first time lit up. What was that like for you personally? Honestly, it was it was really heartwarming. It was phenomenal to see it because, like I said, we we go, we plant trees, we maintain trees, we do all these trails. So to be able to kind of display that in the lit forest around all the trees was, it was something spectacular. You get choked up? A little bit. You're allowed. <laughs> Management at Ken Reed um, for Corth Conservation was definitely on board. Uh, it was something that they saw a lot of value in, especially for our community, or being able to provide really unique and special opportunities for members of our community to come out and connect in nature. In that aspect, it, it hit the nail on the head for what we believe in and what we stand for. Yeah, you're never, you're never going to be able to please everybody, but we've heard a lot of really positive feedback from the folks that are coming out enjoying it. Even internally, like it, it was a really warming team building activity for us to do because a lot of different departments had to come out and put in some time and effort helping to either wrap trees or get ready, um, putting signs out to advertise. So it was really beautiful for the organization as a whole and the public feedback has just been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, everyone everyone is pretty excited to come out and see it. You know, it's not something uh, Ken Reed has done before. Uh, they're amazed at the amount of work that went into it. You know, the amount of trees that are wrapped, the little structures that we built, all the, you know, so having somebody out here during the night, making sure, you know, all the batteries are topped up and everything and making sure everything's working properly. It might be hard to, to tell unless they come out and announce it, but do you get a sense that there are people coming out here who have never been to the park before? Yes. Yeah, we've had a few say, um, you know, we didn't know what was going on. We saw it advertised online somewhere and uh, yeah they brought their family out specifically to come see the illuminated forest out here when you came out here not alone but when you walked in here and you saw the number of people taking it in and, and doing what i did which was just kind of stopping every three or four paces and just kind of gasping with my mouth wide open tell me about that when the first time you saw that so for me, I find that really heartwarming. This is my passion. I love connecting people with the parks. So to be able to come out here and see all the hard work that we had been putting into this trail being appreciated by the public was just, it was really phenomenal for myself. It was one of those moments where it just sits, makes you sit back and really appreciate what it is that I do for a living and that I get to be a part of. So for me, it brought a lot of joy to myself. Um, just being able to see families coming out and experiencing something new, especially in their local community, so you don't have to go far for it. Hi, my name is Melissa Creasy Alexander. I'm a conservation area technician with Ken Reed. Hi, my name is Kaylee Burke. I work as a conservation lands technician at Ken Reed Park. And you're listening to the Advocate Podcast Stories from Quartha Lakes. If you haven't done so already, and maybe it's even worth a second visit if you already have, you've got to check out the Illuminated Forest at Ken Reed. It's free, but you will need to pay the park's $4 parking fee, which really is a bargain. Also free, our show, thanks to Ward's Lawyers, our official sponsor. If you need a lawyer, they've got you covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. Thanks going out to Gerald Van Halteren. It's his music that you hear on the show our opening and closing themes, as well as those musical bridges that tie together all of our segments. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Quarth Lakes is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denny Gringell. Please reach out to us and tell us what you think of the show and what you'd like to hear. Go easy on the gravy and sweets in the coming weeks, but 
not too easy. You got to treat yourself too, right? Talk to you in the new year.